0: This is ETS on the grid. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. Joining me as always is my co-host Aaron Hardick. How are you doing, Aaron?
1: I am in the middle of a controversy, Dylan. My coworkers have decided that it's sweater sweater weather, and I have decided it's not sweater sweater weather. So they have been sending me pictures of them in sweaters over the past day, and I am just livid. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um I'm doing well, but have some internal debates going on about what is appropriate where at the current moment.
0: You Southerners in your warm weather all year round. Um, we have another spoiled su- Southern lady here today with uh, uh, Director of Research Programs Erin Otan is back on the podcast. How are you doing, Erin?
2: Hey Dylan, I am doing well. I'm glad to be back on the podcast and i just wanted to share with aaron hardick and you might enjoy this well dylan but uh so aaron hardick and i are both we're both big hummus fans uh we recently <laughs> discovered a chipotle flavored hummus that we really liked on our our last road trip um but i just found a sriracha flavored hummus that i had with my lunch today um so that put me in quite a good mood
1: wow a sriracha hummus yes so Aaron otan and i consider hummus uh one of the main food groups hummus can be eaten every day for every meal it's very versatile and we did discover the chipotle hummus but Aaron, i will be heading to h-e-b shortly after this recording wraps to look for some sriracha hummus
0: so you guys have a good hummus selection down there huh because all we have up here is like the the What's it called? Saba, Samba, or something? Uh, one that you you know, there's just the the name brand hummus, which I you know is it's good enough, but there's not a whole lot up here for hummus diversity. So you you guys have a have a bunch of like local hummus and stuff down there.
2: Yes, our local grocery chain H E B. Shout out to H E B. Um, they've got several different flavors to choose from. They're all really good.
1: Yes, they have quite the variety, and there's also—I don't want to take us too far off on a hummus tangent, but there's also a chocolate hummus. And I know, I know that sounds crazy, but I would highly suggest trying it. It just really tastes like chocolate pudding. It's very delicious. So we even have chocolate hummus here. I will also have to head head over to ATV after this this podcast and
2: try try out a new flavor.
0: Yeah, it's uh, super, super jealous about that. I I don't know if the microphone picked it up, uh, but my stomach just growled when you guys were talking about that. Uh, No more recordings before lunch. So the reason we have uh, Aaron on with us today is we're going to talk a little bit about smart cities and mobility today, focusing on something that I've wanted to talk about on the podcast for a while, which is scooters. Um, Over the summer, we released a report on e-scooters incorporating uh, our own data from a survey of 1,500 U.S. consumers and data from the Center for Disease Control on roughly a million rides in Austin. So Erin, you worked on that report. Why did we want to do this and what was uh, the process for doing it?
2: Um, Well, we wanted to do it because, like you said, Dylan, we're starting to talk more about um mobility you know we we talk a lot about the city of the future and innovation we have two events focused around those areas that, that Z prime hosts and so we were really just curious you know it's such a such a popular topic right now um even among people who are not in the industry you hear a pin, you, you know just walking down the street you'll hear people having conversations about scooters or uh, so, we were just really curious to learn a little bit more about what the consumers' perception were um, around e scooters and other forms of uh, micro transit but the e scooters were really the the most popular most recognized uh, type of of micro transit.
1: I think what also was really compelling for us being here in Austin is that Austin is one of those cities where there's scooters everywhere i'm not kidding there's scooters everywhere every street corner there's 10 scooters and then also we've been spending a lot of time in san antonio there's also a lot of scooters in san antonio so it's it's something that's actually you know that we deal with day to day and it was really interesting um seeing that there is another cdc report that came out around this so we wanted to do some of our own research to figure out yeah what what do people actually think about these things being everywhere
0: they're they are indeed everywhere they've even found their way up into my neck of the woods in Spokane uh so what A, what stood out to you in our findings
2: uh one of the things that stood out was how few people responded that they had actually ridden um a scooter before only 5% of the people that we surveyed um which was a thousand, a thousand respondents, um, only 5% responded that they had ever ridden a scooter. Um, I mean, this was, you know, a national survey, so they're not in every city, um, but it was just interesting to me that, you know, it seems like Aaron was saying here in Austin, we have them everywhere. It's, they seem pervasive, but they're maybe not quite as per- pervasive as, you know, it's, as it seems to us, being right in the middle of a city that has so many of them. Um, But yeah, just just the fact that not that many people had actually ridden one before stood out to me.
1: What's even more interesting about that statistic, Erin, that not that many people have actually ridden them is it seems like everybody has an opinion on them. So you're having some sort of interaction with that scooter in some way, whether or not you're actually riding it, but are you stepping over it on the sidewalk? Are you having people blowing by you on the scooter and you feel unsafe because of the presence of the scooter? So a lot of people's people interact with the scooters, but really only a few people, 5% um, have actually used them.
2: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: And so I think that, well, in my personal experience,
2: it, you know, an actual riding experience, I would say, did change my perception of them. So the first time I actually rode one was not in Austin. I went to Atlanta for a weekend, uh, and I rode. I think I rode. I was there for three days, and I think I rode around on a scooter every day that I was there. Um, it was really fun as a tourist um, to. to A fun way to see the city as a tourist and um, you know I did a lot of walking around too but um, having the scooter option and not having to you know walk back the the five miles that I had just walked one direction um, was a really great option it was a fun way to see a city that I had never been to before Um, and I think it definitely did change my perception of the scooters I wouldn't say I was anti scooter before I rode one but um you know i wasn't i wasn't really sure about them and i it does still bother me that people you know just leave them in the middle of the sidewalk um but i'm definitely not one of those people that just wishes they were gone um and i think that experience that i had with it definitely changed my perception of them
0: yeah one of the data points that i thought was pretty interesting 72% of the survey participants said they don't want e-scooters in their cities or neighborhood, regardless of whether or not they're already there. So it's not—it's not broken down. It's not broken down by whether or not they're already there. But I—I I, I think that's kind of less important. Three, nearly three quarters of the 1,500 U.S. consumers that responded to the survey said they don't want them, and yet they're—they're they're growing. They're more. There's more and more. More cities are adopting them, and I think part of it is what you're sort of getting at there, Aaron. That there's. An, uh, there's an obvious skepticism uh, to it because the, of their of their prevalence and their seeming lack of seeming lack of regulation. But when people actually like do it, they kind of sort of come around to it. Hence why uh, the number one response on what people use it for use scooters for is fun. Um, so it, it's interesting that they're they're meeting a demand that the public would like largely say they don't want it. it, it, It's interesting. It's kind of different on, there might be a disconnect between what you, you know, what you think you want when you're asked versus what you actually use. uh, If if you're following that, if you're following that line of logic, because like in Spokane, Lime came to us. It wasn't like we were asking for an e-scooter program and the city accommodated it. Lime came to us with a deal and we did a pilot and now it's a full thing up here. And that's, and I think people are getting along with it more or less fine. Um, And that's sort of how they kind of found a market, even though according to our research, it shouldn't be viable, but it is.
1: Let's think about Erin just said that she used it when she visited somewhere else. A lot of the times when I see the most amount of scooters, on the road in Austin are during events that draw a large out-of-town population. For instance, ACL was this past weekend. Weekend two is coming up. A lot of people are using scooters to get to ACL. 55% of our survey respondents said that they use scooters as an alternative to walking somewhere. Same thing goes with South by Southwest. A lot of people come in and their scooters everywhere because the people who come in for South by it's not like all these thousands of people are going to rent cars and drive everywhere in Austin which already has traffic congestion problems so I wouldn't say it's not their indirect conflict because of course you know Austinites are like I don't want these people coming in and riding these scooters everywhere in my neighborhood but tourism is always going to be a thing, and people are always going to figure out better ways to get around cities. So it's more so how do you kind of bring these two groups of people together um, so that the scooters don't aren't such a, a nuisance for the locals, but also make tourism and traveling a lot easier within the city.
0: I'm going to push back on that just a little bit because, uh, I mean, I, I agree. I think you're actually, I think you're right in that um in that that's sort of a disconnect in those in in austin um and that or not a disconnect but that's that's a bridge that's a bridge that needs to be built but i'd say up here we don't get a lot of tourism in spokane there's some but i would say i would i this is anecdotal but i think uh, i would wager that the vast majority of riders uh in spokane are are locals um our you know our our public transportation is only kind of okay. Um, and uh, there's a lot of like just because of the way the city's laid out, you can oftentimes have a pl- ha- have to go to a place that's like a five minute drive, but like a twenty minute walk. Uh, and the the scooter kind of helps in the middle there, like what you're talking about. I, I what I was trying to get at earlier is that i I think the data point of people not necessarily wanting it in their neighborhood has i i think it has two components the first is what you were talking about which is that like um this you, you know the success success is coming from the subsection of people that do want it because they're either not from there or they just like it and but also i think there is sort of a, a cognitive dissonance that's going on or various uh something that happens where it, the experience of actually having the scooters change it changes people's mind the Im- the, the impact of them is so profound that that these companies are betting on this are betting on this product even though initially people are abrasive to it does that make more sense
1: well Dylan, so i think that does lead us into this next discussion more so around you know scooter safety there is this large perception that these scooters are very unsafe and you know i would assume that would contribute to people not wanting them in their neighborhoods. So, you know, I mentioned that 55% of respondents said that they were using scooters as an alternative to walk somewhere. Only 33% responded that they were using it for commuting. Um, And so a lot of people who are are living in these cities aren't maybe the ones who are always riding the scooters. Take that in combination with the 5% of people who have only ever actually ridden a scooter. You could see how a lot of communities view them as unsafe because they haven't used them and they're not frequently using them. And this leads us into um, our our stats around safety. So 33 percent of scooter injuries took place on the first ride. And 63% happened in the first nine rides. So there's like that that learning curve of how to use the technology before you're comfortable enough with it to say, I'm okay with it being here. Um, so I, I think that the safety aspect really is contributing to people not wanting uh, the scooters around. Um, myself, I use scooters all the time now. I used to hate them, <laughs> resent them. I thought scooter riders were so annoying but I live really in central central Austin very close to downtown it's really hard to drive my car places now Um, it's over 90 degrees still it's October and if I want to walk downtown um, it's going to take me 15 minutes and in 90 degree weather that's, that's not really ideal but if I hop on a scooter I can be there in five minutes and I'm not sweating nearly as much not wasting time in my car um, so I use them pretty frequently now, and I don't really view the safety aspect as being too big of a deal. Now, it still is very unsafe. I was scootering this weekend in for ACL, and one of my friends was almost hit by a car because the driver just wasn't paying attention. Um, but I, I, I do think that there is just like this big gap between people who have used them and know how to use them and want them there versus the people who haven't used them and don't want them there because they don't think they're safe. If that makes sense.
0: I think it does. Have Have either of you uh, ever, ever crashed on a scooter before?
1: I have not. I have, not. I have witnessed yeah. many, but I have not
0: myself. I, I, I actually, I actually have, uh, I mean, it was, it was my own fault. I was trying to, I was trying to jump, I was trying to jump a curb because someone was in the, was in the little kind of rampy area that for, for crosswalks, I tried to jump the curb and, uh, fell down in front of this lady. It was very embarrassing. Uh, and I scraped my ankle, but that's, uh, I think that that's sort of what people think of, or what you said, you saw your friend almost get hit by a car. I think that's what people think of when they think that scooters are unsafe. But if you like, if you actually look at the, at this, uh, at this data here, 50 percent of the injury fifty percent of the injuries were caused by road con- were caused by road conditions like potholes uh, and and cracks and uh, there are a lot of and, and you know and in, in the report we talk about needing to ch- sort of change uh, to update like bike lane infrastructure in certain places, especially in Spokane so that you can have these more designated lanes for people. So they're not getting mixed up with, uh, with cars and with, uh, with pedestrians. So that I think that, uh, perception of the scooters being unsafe makes, makes a lot of sense. But what's interesting is it seems that a lot of the solutions can come from the, can actually come from the, from the planning side, from the cities and the companies not just like fixing, not trying to, just trying to fix dumb people being dumb.
2: Um. Well, first of all, I would agree with what you just said. Uh, you know, we mentioned the city of the future and at that event um, and some of the other projects that we've done at Z-Prime around that, it's really just imagining what, what cities will look like in the future and maybe, you know, these scooters being everywhere and having to, having to accommodate for them will eventually force us to, to plan for, you know, more efficient and safer uh, bike lanes, scooter lanes, car lanes, whatever, just more safer streets in general. Um, I think that uh, the safety stat that stood out to me, and this was from the CDC study that was conducted, uh, 99% of the riders who were injured were not wearing helmets. And I don't really know what the answer is there because the whole appeal of the scooter is that you can kind of just jump on it and go. You don't have to really plan for it. So it doesn't make much sense for people, you know, to carry around a helmet with the possibility that they'll jump on a scooter uh, that day. Um But it does seem to me that riding or wearing a helmet would make the scooters much safer. So I'm not sure what the answer is there. Maybe it's, again, just going back to eventually making our streets safer.
1: I have seen a few, very few and far between uh, BYOH scooter riders, bring your own helmet, scooter riders in Austin. But I would say it's only been about two people. Um, and I did not approach them asking if they left the house that morning planning to ride a scooter. They just happened to have a, a helmet on them. Um, but, Aaron, you're right. I mean, I I challenge you to go outside and over the next week count how many people you see on a scooter and how many people you see on a scooter with a helmet. It's going to be very, very few.
0: So I was told – I was told uh, – and. I, so I was told you can actually request a helmet from, just from Lime, because again, that's all we have up here. So I don't know if the other companies do this, but apparently you can request a helmet from them and they can actually, they will actually send you one. But that it doesn't really fix the problem of the, of needing to actually carry a helmet around with you. And the fact that that, like you said, they're set up to sort of just be, you don't necessarily always plan to use a scooter. You're just like, man, we need to get to this we need to get to this bar on the other side of town. Oh, look, here's some scooters. We can just take these. Uh, and you know, you're probably not going to be carrying a helmet around in that, in, in, that situation. Um, and what's really interesting is that this in particular, this is like one of the biggest sticking points. And yet it's the one that I think probably I'd say is the least likely to actually be fully addressed by the companies because, uh, at the very least, I don't know, I don't know how it is in Austin, but in spoke in Spokane, uh, you are required to wear a helmet when, when you ride a bike or ride, uh, any kind of scooter on the road, unless specifically it's a line bike, because in the, in the agreement, and this was the sticking point in the, in the initial deal that caused, uh, at least one person not to agree with, to vote on it, but was, uh, that in the agreement for line, they actually are not required to abide by that that city law, though they are required to print wear a helmet on the on the front of the scooter for whatever that's worth. I agree with you, Aaron. That ninety nine percent statistic is not surprising, but also staggering. Uh, and I think that it's probably it's probably the the hardest and least and it's the hardest issue to address, and it seems to also have the least momentum out of in, out of all of them.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, so I'm just trying to think about this. I'd imagine a lot of the helmet injuries come because you fall off the scooter and you probably fell off the scooter because you hit a crack in the road. You hit a pothole or you stopped too soon because a car was turning. So it almost seems like fixing the infrastructure problem will inherit, not fix the helmet problem, but will significantly decrease the amount of head injuries that come along with scooters because there's you know more designated lanes, you know where you're riding them, and then the other thing I did want to add because I'd seen this in Austin, um, the city has actually been putting out these commercials on like scooter safety. So if you're going to ride a scooter, do these three things, and pretty much it's you know wear a helmet even though not that many people wear helmets, uh, but abide by basic traffic laws. And this is another big issue. A lot of the times, you know, people are riding these scooters in the streets or they're crossing crosswalks when they shouldn't be um, and not really abiding by basic traffic laws. And if you're going to use this scooter, this form of mobility on the road, then you have to do that. Um, So it's, I think... Continuing to educate the public on just how to be safe with them, but I also do think that fixing the infrastructure issue will fix a lot more of the the head injury helmet issue.
2: Uh, kind of switching gears a little bit, but going back to something that you mentioned, Dylan, is that you only have lime in Spokane. Uh, so here in Austin, I mean, I don't even know how many companies there are. I think there are at least five. Uh, If you go down to San Antonio, there is a different company there. That's actually a a San Antonio based company Um, So one one thing that I'm curious about is you know, what are these companies going to do to? to survive and thrive in you know, this industry what kind of Innovations will they come up with and which ones will actually stick around and, and which ones will you know, possibly fold
1: that's a good question, Aaron. It almost seems like whichever of these companies can get in front of the city or partner with the city and utilities on these issues are the ones that are going to make it. It's either that or you have to like out- put out standards for all these companies to abide by but i feel like really addressing that safety issue is going to be a big win for whoever can really do that first and that's going to require partnerships with the city partnerships um with the utilities because they require charging these dang things and so i, that, I i'm interested to see how that plays out as well but i think partnerships are going to play a big role for whoever whichever of these companies are the ones that do end up becoming successful long term
0: i think standardized regulation will happen at some point um i because we we're the way the scooters work in both of our cities is entirely different because for you guys like you said there's a bunch there's kind of a competitive there's a competitive market and so like you said there's room for you know people to to innovate within that market to get out to get out ahead whereas over here uh you know there's a there's, there's probably a bit more order to it, but uh because just because it's monopolized and when something needs to change like a parking lot is getting really sick of teenagers uh like slime scooting around it in the middle of the night so they make it a, they, they can call lime and have it make it into a dead zone immediately uh you have that but then on the other hand, uh they aren't really pressured to resolve some of these issues until, The next contract is up because uh, because they effective because they effectively have this monopoly. The deal's already been hammered out, and they did it. um, You know, they did it before the full deployment. So there's there's a learning process that's happening on our end. But I think it I think because of that, it's just going to there's going to be up here. There's going to be a lot of trial and error until we get like a nice regulatory framework. Unless someone figures that out first, because I don't think there's going to just because of our size, we're going to have that big. You know, marketplace of scooters uh, because we don't have as much people as or as much tourism. So, I agree that I think the the pioneering is going to happen in places like Austin and in San Antonio. And once those partnerships happen and a comprehensive regulatory framework can come out, then I think you'll start seeing scooter you'll you'll, you'll start seeing those uh, numbers, both the safety and the approval numbers, kind of start to move.
1: The marketplace
0: yeah, of scooters. Yeah. Oh, is that an episode title?
1: <laughs> well, I'm
2: excited to go home for uh, Thanksgiving to my hometown of Fort Pierce, Florida, where they just uh, brought scooters in for the first time about a month ago. And, you know, it's a pretty small town. Um, so I'll I'll definitely go to downtown Fort Pierce and check out the scooter scene there and maybe try to talk to some people see... See what they're thinking about it in South Florida.
1: A new market, and the reason I said marketplace of scooters, and I think that's funny because I mean, really, what we're talking about is micro mobility, right? And so we also have like these jump bikes and these city bikes deployed that you can also use as an alternative to the scooters. A lot of them owned by the same companies, Uber, Lyft. Um, so it's this idea of companies really trying to solve. That last mile problem, I think that's what it's referred to as. it's like called like the last mile in transportation. once you get out of your car what, where do you go? Um, it's that micro mobility is really addressing the movement of people on a smaller scale within cities, and the people who can figure out how to do that safely in a functional accessible way are gonna be the winners whether or not that ends up being the scooter i don't know maybe these people are going to get into urban air mobility with small drones and that's how we all end up moving around in in 10 years i don't know but it's it's definitely like a growing need for sure more cities are going to be adopting micro mobility um so it'll be interesting how it plays out
0: we could have hoverboards that would be cool well speaking of uh you know, speaking of finding and addressing those challenges, going to going to pivot a bit here. Uh, the next solver of those micro mobility problems could come from anywhere. We like to you know do our part to help give startups in our industry a little bit of exposure with an event that uh, we're going to be heading to San Antonio and probably riding scooters around n- near Start at ETS, which is a part of San Antonio Startup Week this year. And our boss Jason said that. To, uh, said to us that the reason he he believes and we believe that startups have the solutions that some of the older service providers need. They just need to you know find them and have access to them. Which I, actually Josh Gould uh, a couple of weeks back said something very similar. Um, so you guys are you guys are a bit more on the on on the ground in the weeds of putting this together than I am. So uh, Aaron A., why don't you tell our listeners exactly what happens at Start at ETS on October 23rd?
2: Uh, Yeah, so this is the fourth annual Start at ETS event. Um, It's going to be a full day of panels, um, some fireside chats and talks, all focusing on innovation in both the utility space and the smart city space. We're kind of dividing it up into two different categories this year. Um, And there's also a, a pilot pitch competition. So there will be six finalists, um, startup companies, uh, three in the smart city category and three in the utility category. We'll have a panel of about fifteen or twenty um, really high-level uh, judges from utilities and other um, other executives in the industry who are focused on innovation. Um, they'll be they'll be judging the the pilot pitches, um, and then we'll end up with. A winner from each category and an overall winner at the end of the day but it's really just um a really just fun fun event focused on innovation Um, i think this is you know z prime is known for events that are pretty creative and and throwing out ideas out there and i think this is the one where you know we get some of the most creative ideas that we hear from people in the industry. So I'm really excited for it.
1: As Aaron mentioned, we've put this event on in the past, but this year we've actually decided to bring in a few more startups, a few more judges, because we really want to focus on making it um, an event where we can you know, enable opportunities for startups and utilities to work together. So even if you're not a finalist, still come, and attend and you'll be able to interact with those judges that are there see the panels and really get a lot of value out of it because it's about facilitating useful the exchange of helpful information to make our cities better and so that's really what the overall focus is
0: (laughs) I've enjoyed going to this going to this event seeing the the cool ideas that get pitched even the ones that don't even the ones that don't win that are all just about like interesting ways to use data, interesting, uh, little get, little gadgets. Uh, I remember the, I think it was the first one I went to, uh, when grid 2020 had this, had a, had a smart transformer. So they just made this, like, they just brought in this big metal transformer with a bunch of like stuff hanging off of it that was showing off what they were doing. It was a really cool it was a really cool presentation. Uh, and it, and it really, you know, spoke to the judges, but like beyond that, yeah, it's just been, it's just been really seeing, cool seeing what some of the potential solutions, solutions of the fu- future might be. And yeah, that's why I think we're really excited to put on this event. Okay. So if you're interested in finding out more about the event or if you want to attend, uh, please head over to start 19.co that start 19co uh, for a full, full agenda, list of judges, registration, um, this year's twenty finalists will be included in the description of this podcast, so just scroll down, and you can look at who all is participating. And if you, if you see a startup you know, come come to the competition and cheer them on. Erin, Erin, a I really want to thank you for uh, coming on, talking scooters, talking start.
2: Thank you for having me back, Dylan. Looking forward to seeing you um, in a couple weeks.
0: Yes, I'll be down there. Aaron Hardick, thank you for doing point counterpoint with me on, Scoo- on Scooter Talk.
1: Of course, Dylan. And I must also say a big thank you to Aaron O'Tan again for uh, coming on to the podcast and also for informing me of new hummus flavors. So always appreciative, Aaron. I do what I can.
0: Aside from start, you can find our research and media at etsinsights.com. You can find us on social media at DIY Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at Aaron OTAN, and at Zprime underscore research. My name is Dylan, and we'll see you all next time.